get us live. Are we live now? Welcome to Still Talking Uncut. He's your host, Sean Rigsby. I'm your other host, Big Easy. Joined today by a special guest, my man, Mr. Chad Hunt from Roaring River Distillery. How you doing, brother? Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Shit, anytime, man, anytime. But uh, so yeah, what you, what you drinking ahead. on, Sean? Are uh, are you drinking on anything tonight? I know you went hard Saturday, and Sean went hard Saturday night. Uh, you know, I had my birthday party Saturday night, and I, I bet there was about 20, 20 shiners here, and and you know, Sean showed up with Uncle Joey, and Sean had him a good time, man. That's for sure. I I, I don't know. I think Old Son was more lit than Sean. It went Old Son, Sean everybody else <laughs> but did you have a good time that's all i need to know and i had a blast it was it was awesome man was a lot of guys just standing around shooting shit talking liquor trying to do there was so much good alcohol on on the bar it was insane oh yeah for sure and so the, since you're talking about alcohol that was on the bar this is uh what i'm i'm gonna sip on this tonight it's some of that uh, old Bennett's uh, clean apple brandy, as some would say. Yeah, hey, I, I thought it was nice, man. All apple, you know, got that nice finish. Apple. I think every time I get a nice apple brandy, it's a little dry on the back end, like you just eat apple. And, and he done uh, it. You know, he didn't. Let's see. How did he call? How did he explain it? The way he did it. I don't know. It was the. I, I didn't even know they was coming. I'm sitting. I'm lighting a fire. I didn't know Hooch and his wife and Bennett were and I'm out there and all of a sudden they pull up and Bennett yells at me and I'm like, holy shit, man. I was so surprised because I didn't think they was going to make it this year, but it wouldn't have been the same without them. So that was a great time. So you drinking on anything special over there, Mr. Hunt? Drinking water right now. I've been tempering yeah. liquor all day long, so I've had my fair share for today, I believe. <laughs> Got to know when to fold them, man. Uh, well, a lot of work to get done here at the distillery, so yeah, take it easy some days. But uh, what about you, Easy? What uh, are you drinking? I'm drinking some. Uh, you know, I'm still on my master distiller jars, so Uncle du uh, Uncle Dum Dum gets the call tonight. So Uncle Dum Dum, I've been drinking on his uh, from his distillery, so I figured tonight I'd give him a. A little. I was gonna get. I was gonna go out to the garage and barn and get something, but I decided it's cold as shit outside, and I didn't want to leave inside the house after work. So, <laughs> man, uh, and weather went from seventy-five to fifty-five around here, like it's seen a state trooper. Same <laughs> here. Went from summer to winter, quick. So, but <laughs> so all uh, right. Well, Take ahead. over the show, Sean. You're the oh, man. No. no, I was gonna say, you know, just tell us a little bit, you know, about yourself, about your history, how you got started in it. Uh, yeah, just you kind of go from there. Well, guess it runs in the blood pretty deep. My great grandfather spent two years in a Alabama pen for making it illegally, and he was just doing what he had to do to provide for his family, and then it came over to. Our generation, I guess, got really good at drinking it and was like, I drank quite a bit of it, got really good at selling it. 
I was like, well, I've drank plenty of it to know what it's supposed to taste like. I know if I can make something good, I can sell it too. So that's when we just started. Went from bootlegging to actually distilling it. And then I was working, a, I was, say, nine to five. I was working seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day in a factory, and uh, which I was making good money programming robots and automation, doing stuff like that. And I had enough of that. Pretty much told them I retired. It's more or less just quit, but retiring sounds a lot better. Yeah, it does. Um, it's more distinguished. Moved out to where where we are now, out in the Upper Cumberland, and was like, well, I really don't want to go back to that plant life. Don't want to go work for somebody else. And so me and my mom, and my dad, come up with a business plan and decided to take it legal, which has been a long journey, especially starting. Because we went legal in 2019, so we all know what happened then. And it's been a yeah. been a rough ride for most of it. A lot of the supply chain shortages, which everybody's been having to deal with, and all that stuff. But we made it through all that, and now it's starting to get get a lot better. We're starting to get a lot more recognition. We're getting out in a lot of more liquor stores and bars and restaurants and spreading out further and further away from the distillery towards Nashville, towards Knoxville, Chattanooga. So it's, they're, they're definitely keeping us busy. That's for sure. Hell yeah. So what do you guys generally make there at the distillery? I mean, well, it- we make a traditional upper Cumberland moonshine. So our, our mash bill, it's real simple, but it's, what most people around here use is white corn, sugar, and water. And then we don't use a man-made yeast. We sprout them off the white corn. And I believe we're the only distillery in Tennessee that fully does it that way with malting the corn and utilizing the natural yeast in the air. Um, but we use that old-fashioned recipe, and then it's distilled on an old-fashioned pot still. So people come in to tour the distillery, and they – they can come and watch me run if I'm running the steel and walk right up to it where it's coming out and they see the steel and they're kind of shocked and then amazed at the type of steel that it is because it's it's the same type of steel you'd find out in the woods mm-hmm. out in the wild if you supposed to stumble across one. And uh, the only thing I've got electricity for is my cooling water because I don't have a creek or a spring flowing through my distilling yeah. room here. I wish I did. It'd make things a lot easier, but I had to get creative and engineer me a little flowing creek, keep my water cold down so I can keep my water about a constant 40 degrees when I want to. uh, Good and cold. They they see it and they're like, man, what makes this separate from being legal and illegal? And so we got permits and we pay taxes. Mm -hmm. The mash is still the same. The steel's obviously still the same. They they don't tell you what to put in your recipe or anything like that. They don't tell you what proof to make it at. As long as government gets their part of it and you keep paying for their permits and all that, they're happy with it. As long as they get their money. That's yeah. Why people, that's why people get in trouble. They ain't getting their money. Exactly. And that's what, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people disagree with moonshine. Well, moonshine's moonshine backwoods this that and the other but all of a sudden it goes legal they're like that's not moonshine anymore you know it's literally the same fucking product yeah 
which I've had a lot of old timers come in here and they'll they'll try the clear, which we proof our clear to 110 proof. Nice. And they'll try it. And I had one guy, he questioned me, he was like, is that really 110 proof? And I was like, yes. I said, we got to pay taxes on the proof. Yeah. And if they came and checked it and it's not what it says it is on the jar, we get in big trouble for that. And so he he tried a little bit more of it and he said, this tastes just like the illegal stuff. I'm like, it is. Like, it, nothing changed. Yeah, nothing changed. Yeah. We pay taxes on it to make it legal now. So, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily like calling it moonshine because traditionally moonshine is a unaged, untaxed liquor. I mean, that's what it was. But if you look, filling out federal paperwork and all that, since we put sugar in our mash, that's federally recognized as moonshine. That's what they call it. So that's what we yeah. have to call it. So I mean, even if you're making it illegally, you know, you're still paying taxes on the sugar, on the grain, you're paying okay. taxes on the jars, on the gas it takes you to run it. So, I mean, the, hey, the man's getting his money, whether you're doing it legal or illegal. But if you go legal, he's just getting a lot more of it. Yeah, it's just that double so, dipping. Yeah, yeah, like triple, quadruple dipping on you. So, oh, yeah. uh, uh, but let's go back to you said natural ferment with your yeast. You're capturing, capturing yeast out of the air. Now, like, um, would you mind explaining your process on how you're capturing this yeast? And are you reusing it? Or are you capturing the natural yeast each time you ferment? Right. So we do open fermentation here. So you can come in the distillery at any point. I've got vats. They actually, they roll around. They hold a little over 220 gallons worth of mash, which I only cook in 220 at a time. But at any point you can come in and you'll look in the vat and you'll see it fermenting and it's just we cook in the corn the milled corn sugar and all the water and all that and then like i said i'll take white corn that we source locally so organic non-gmo heirloom white corn and uh, i'll take it let it go through germination so i'll sprout it i've got some in buckets right now that's soaking up warm water and like tomorrow when I come in, I'll drain that warm water off, put it in burlap sacks, cover it up with blankets, and it'll start to sprout. It simulates it being underneath the ground. So mm -hmm. it only takes about four days. I've got sprouts about as long as my pinky finger coming all through the burlap. Nice. And then that's also something you may see when you come in at any given time. I may have tarps spread out in the distilling room underneath the fans, and we've got corn just laying there air drying. So once all that moisture is out of it, I'll grind that corn into finer powder. And when my temperature's right in my mash, I'll add that malted corn in there. It'll start breaking down those starches and carbs and the sugars. And then the natural yeast, once it reaches its right temperature, it'll just take over. So I don't I haven't I don't catch a specific strain of natural yeast and harvest it and keep using that over and over again. It's just the natural yeast that's in there. Yes, that's a dying art, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, that's the way the old timers did it for many, many years before man-made yeast was even thought of. Yeah. I know if you're wanting to make certain things, like we've had a couple of brewery owners come here and they see it fermenting and they're just amazed that they can sit there and watch it because if they're making a IPA or a cider or a certain type of lager, they have to use a certain strand of yeast to get that flavor. And if they do open fermentation, they're just going to have sour beers. We're making sour mash, so that's kind of the point of it. I want it to yeah. be have that wild yeast in there to sour it. So. Nice, nice. And Billy Reed, to answer your question, 
Some people will use like a stick and propagate their yeast from one to another. Um, some people will take a jar and just scoop some yeast up out of the bottom and keep it cool. Um, so that's that's way some people keep it from one to the next. Um, he's talking that each time there's just a new. He just lets he let he lets lets Mother Nature <laughs> take over. You know, it's just this is cool. So very very intriguing. So. I've had other places say that that's they don't do that because it's too much work sprouting the corn and all that stuff, and it's it's an extra step, but you get more corn flavor out of it, I believe, and a better product. So a little bit more love, you know, it's a little bit yeah. more time and effort and love you're putting in yours. So well, not I'm, only that, Go ahead. I'm a I'm a big believer, man. You put a little extra love in it, you can taste it. You can taste the extra step, the oh. extra little bit that somebody puts into it. So. For sure. doing you, man. Well done. Yep. And if that's something you've done, you know, from when you started, <clears throat> you're just kind of used to it anyway, you know? Right. Is that something that, that you picked up from before, or is that something you adopted in through your time of distilling? That's just how I started out distilling. I've always done it that way. Um, nice. I've done more with the natural yeast than I have with an engineered yeast, so I, I know a lot more on that side of it, but I mean, I know about the others too, but mm -hmm. I just choose not to use them because there's a lot of just from past experiences with different liquors or even beer, your body's not acclimated to some man-made yeast. So you might start getting headaches from it. Hangovers come a lot easier with an engineered yeast. So yeah. natural yeast, you're breathing it in everywhere you go. So your body's more acclimated to it. It's not trying to fight it off. So you're less likely to get a headache from it. Now, if you drink a whole gallon of it, yeah, you'll probably have a headache. Uh, that's more or less your liver screaming at you, but I think it helps. Nice. Sean tried, tried to drink a whole gallon of something Saturday night. <laughs> How'd that turn out for you? <laughs> Not too bad, honestly. I mean, I felt pretty good that night. Next day, I, I got a, a, a headache about noon, and it just kind of crept up on me, but... I only drink yeah. like that about once every year, generally. It's usually when he gets around me and we're having a party. <laughs> it's usually when it happens. So I'm I'm the bad influence around here. But everybody coming to my this. party next year. Each year it's getting bigger and bigger, man. Eventually I'm gonna have to get a fairgrounds and I'm cool with that. So everybody I, I think we're doing the last weekend of September next year, so the weather's a little nicer. But um so what is um, the main thing you got? Where is Roaring River Distillery? So we're in Gainesboro, Tennessee, which is in Jackson County, Tennessee. The best way to describe it, it's almost smack dab in between Nashville and Knoxville, okay. but a little north from the middle of the state. So we're closer to the Kentucky line. Uh, North, nice. of, north of Cookville, Tennessee, Tennessee Tech and all that. So people might be familiar with the college, but yeah, it's just a small little historic town and it's well known for illegal liquor back in the day. There was some pretty big operations going on around here. It's a, it's some, some of the coolest, best distilleries I've been in, I've been in a little town in the middle mm -hmm. of nowhere. And it's just, you know, you feel, you feel at home when you walk in. They treat you like your family, and, and you feel like you're home as soon as you walk in. So there ain't nothing like a, a small distillery. Give yeah. me a small distillery. I'd much rather tour a real small distillery over a big giant, 
you know, Jack Daniels and Stiller any day of the week, just because it's so much more personal and, you know, you can actually speak. Well, like I said, it's me and my mom, my dad here. So anytime you come in that we're open, it's going to be us that you see. Um, and people do come here because, and they bring their friends and family because it's so, uh, uh, I don't know how I want to say it. Uh, it's not like the big ones, I guess, where yeah. you're just in a big group and it's kind of it's, it's more personal. Per- yeah, more personal. Yeah. So, and we had like this past weekend, I was running the steel, and we had some people come in, and uh, I guess they'd seen our billboard, and they had actually went to another bigger distillery before they came here that week, and he walked right up to the steel where it was running, and he was like, "This is awesome." He's like, I can't believe y'all actually let us come in here and see it. And I said, well, why wouldn't we do that? He said, the other place didn't. He said, they wouldn't even let us see the steel. I was like, okay. I don't know why. (laughs) Because most of these other places, they have these humongous Vendome steels, beautiful works of copper that probably cost them upwards of $250,000, $500,000. And if I had something that expensive and that beautiful, I'd be bringing people from the store. Like, hey, you got to come see this. Hell but yeah! I want to show you all this stuff that it's shiny. Look at it. But yeah, well, a lot of times when you go in these big distilleries, the person giving a tour don't know anything about mm-hmm. making liquor. For and sure. You know, and you're just like, this is hard to deal with. Like, <laughs> you know, you got you don't want to be an ass or you know be condescending while you're in there. But man, it's like sometimes it's like this is hard to deal with. Like you guys should have somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, it's so, scripted. A lot yeah. of them big places they have two, you know, tour guides. And that's what they're there for. Yeah, I guess I'm the tour guide here. Uh, either <laughs> yeah. me, my mom, my dad, whichever yeah. one of us is free at the time. You do it all, you know. But <laughs> just not a very not a very big facility, so you ain't gotta get on a bus or nothing and drive like you do at Jack Daniel per se. So that's why people they ask they're like, How much is the tour? And I'm like, it there is no charge for the tour. Just come in here and look at buy a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> you you took the tour when you came in the front door. Right. <laughs> Let's get drunk. <laughs> Which I've heard that there's places smaller than us that people got charged five bucks to go see their little steel. And I'm like, no, that's, we're not doing that. Man, that's, I don't know. So you're talking about uh, seeing a steel. Let's tell us about uh, the steel you got there. What size it is, what it's made out of. So Who built it. Yes, our steel here we call Big Bertha. It, every steel needs a good name. Big yeah. Bertha, the same fitting. It's a 110-gallon all-copper pot, groundhog-style steel. So I use natural gas to heat it. It's got a furnace around the actual steel. So the pot's sitting inside the furnace with a burner ring that goes around the sides and heats it from the sides that I built. And is, is that what you're talking about when you say groundhog-style steel? Right. So inside of furnace. groundhog steel is for people that don't that aren't familiar with that. That's you know, Back in the day, if you were walking through the woods – Around here, a lot of the moonshiners, they would either take rocks and stack them up nice, nicely around the steel to make a furnace out of it, or they'd take dirt and build a furnace, and they'd have their flame down underneath the steel, and it was indirectly heating it, so it would come up through heat vents and then heat up the pot, keep it from scorching, or less likely to scorch. So if you was to stumble across one in the wild, all you'd see is the copper cap sticking out of what looked like the ground, like a groundhog poking its head nice. up the hole. So that's where it got the name groundhog steel. Hell yeah. But so ours is a furnace style steel. 
flame does directly touch the pot because a lot of people will come in they'll see it running and they'll look underneath the flake spam and they're like where's the where's the fire at and i'm like it's around it and then i move the insulation out of the blowhole and they can actually see the pot and the flame and they're like oh okay because nice. the way the burner ring's situated it anything that's heavy that's left over in the mash will sink down below it and so where the bottom burning flame all that stuff settling down at the bottom yeah. and that flame's hitting that you're going to scorch the hell out of it almost, I, don't, I don't have to worry about that yeah almost kind of like using a burn tube where the heat's up off the bottom and you don't have to mm-hmm. worry about burning right. anything to the bottom but yours is around it and using a like a like an oven right <laughs> yeah, nice heating the sides of the pot very intriguing so where d- who built that did uh, you guys build it they built by me yes so it's not the prettiest thing we needed something to get up and going uh it's very well functional it's been working pretty good for us since 2019 i did just recently about a month ago i have to rebuild the condenser for it because after all these years of being in the cooling water submerged it was finally starting to get little pinholes in it and i did solder up a lot of the pinholes to keep it running good but it the copper was getting so thin and wore out i was like yeah i'm tired of fighting and i just build me a new one and yeah last me another four years i would hope so i had to replace that but other than that it's been going good but i've got got my material and i'll be building a little 25 gallon pot still with infuser thumpers on it i'll kind of build it modular that way i can have just a single copper thumper in the center i can have mason jar thumpers and change it out have a different style condensers if i want to uh but i'll i'll be building that as soon as i find some free time here lately i haven't had much free time we've had a lot of events going on and been going out and doing a lot of meet and greets at liquor stores and taste testings and we've got more coming up but hopefully soon when the time changes and we cut back on our showroom hours i'll have more free time throughout the day that i'm not having to communicate with customers and all that that i'll be able to just focus on that get that still built and start working on some new stuff around here it's about to get cold too so you know there are festivals go away for a few more quite a few months and oh yeah you know, and like every, getting... time I, every time i turned around they're like well we gotta go gotta yeah. go to chattanooga for a whiskey guild tasting and all this stuff and, or gotta go to this concert over here and set up and do a tasting or this liquor store this bar okay <laughs> it gets a little hectic sometimes yeah i can imagine so you were telling me um you were between knoxville and nashville Correct. knoxville and nashville nashville it uh rings a bell did uh you were on master distiller right and uh, tell us a little bit about that experience so i was on the savory spirits episode so that's kind of a a new thing that's definitely not something that i was that's not my expertise i'm not a can't say i've made a lot of savory liquor in my days but that's the episode they casted me for and so we the object of it what they wanted they were asking for a high proof savory spirit which got me thinking i'm like well what exactly is savory and it's the void of sweetness 
spicy. I was like, well, it's going to be kind of hard to do a T-bone steak shine or something like that. And growing, I grew up in Nashville for the most part, graduated high school there and outside of Nashville. And growing up, all that was in my face was Nashville hot chicken, Nashville hot chicken. And whenever I heard savory and got to thinking, that's the only thing that was in my head. I could not get it out. I was like, well, I guess I'm doing some Nashville hot chicken moonshine. So whenever the goal of that was just to try to, I just used our base spirit, kind of like what we run here. Cause I knew to start off with a good base. It's easier to infuse stuff and make work off of that good base. So I did, did that base spirit. And then for the infusion round, I did a chicken hanging in the pot in the cap and then a chicken piece of chicken hanging in the thump keg as well. So as I was distilling those vapors, the alcohol vapors were evaporating and actually cooking the chicken as I was running. And so as it would cook, those fats and juices would fall out of the chicken down into the wash and then be infused into the alcohol vapors coming through, kind of like they do mezcal with the, depending on what village you're in, they'll use rabbit, deer, chicken, whatever they have for their ceremonies. And then, so it was like a, a moonshine, they pachuga, I guess you would call it, instead of mezcal, they pachuga. But so in the thumper, I had pretty much most of the ingredients you would find in a Nashville hot chicken. So I had like cayenne peppers, had brown sugar, had some dill, just different things like that. I experimented with it before I went and just on a real, real tiny still that I got just to see what would carry over well and what wouldn't. And then I, I found out real quick, certain things do not carry over very well, or they actually absolutely overpower anything you're trying to make. So I was able to weed out what I didn't want to put in there. And, and like I said, at the very end of it, Nashville hot chicken, anytime you get it anywhere, you're going to have dill pickles. So oh, yeah. I put sure. dill pickles in the jar. I knew it would soak up some of the, some of the alcohol and some of the pickle flavor would come out into the jar. So it did what it was supposed to do. But dill pickles, a good flavor. That's yeah. our number one seller, believe it or not. We have just straight dill pickle shine. That's got the dill pickles in it, the spears. Um, usually we sell out of it every weekend. We have people come in that have tried other places. Dill pickle shine. I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, <laughs> they'll we'll mention it to them. And they're like, "Oh no, I've, I've had the other. Uh, I've had so and so's. They're disgusting." So we're like, "We'll give ours a try." Usually they walk straight yeah. up the shelf and they get a jar of it. So I, I was getting there, Freddie. So at the end, did you eat the chicken? Did you try it? Oh yeah. So it's yeah, real yeah. juicy chicken. It's kind of like the same concept as a beer can chicken. Yeah. So. It makes it really, really juicy, which the film crew, after we got done and I broke the cap off the steel, they were like, are you going to eat that chicken? I was like, well, yeah, I'm not going to waste it. <laughs> yeah. I like, I've got, got dinner now. I don't have to go out and buy nothing. <laughs> y'all y'all yeah. might not want to watch this. Like, I saw yeah. on my per diem, but I'm eating this chicken. <laughs> well, they were like, can we try some of it? I said, have at it. It's cooked. It's not like it's raw chicken. You can so, eat the bones when I'm done. <laughs> So probably a, probably a good story for them. The 
the film crew from New York and California to go back and tell their friends they had yeah. some hillbilly chicken made out of a on the inside of a moonshine still, I guess. Yeah, right, right out of the middle of a still. So how did it taste with that? I mean, did you get any of the? I mean, I don't even know how to try to explain it. Did you get? Did you, was it savory? Like, did you get any of the chicken flavor into it, or was it all just the uh, the spices? Um, and, so it was more. I, you had uh, some chicken flavor, like, but also in the thumper, I had some chicken broth as well, so that would carry over with it. Nice. Um, more chicken flavor probably would have carried over if, like, after I got done distilling it, when I before I did the pickles, if I would have done like a like an overnight fat wash or something, let it sit and then get it really cold and separate the fats out of it just to get more chicken flavor. But it was more or less just the, with the spices and stuff that came over from it and the flavors from it yeah. more than the chicken. I think kind of like with Mezcal and all that, the, the meat in the pot's kind of more of a, I'm not going to say gimmick, but it's just part of the, Mm-hmm. Part of it, you can say that it, that's part of the process. But. Well, you you see some guys, you know, like they'll throw a stick of butter in their pot to keep it from bubbling and foaming. Right. And I could I could see you know hanging meat in there, doing the same thing, getting the fats and off of it. That could help your pot from foaming and and puking. You know, so I could see how how that could help if that was you know one of the things you could get from it, anyways. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have had any problem with the with it foaming or trying to puke over yeah. on that one because I I definitely didn't fill the pot all the way up. I knew they weren't going for large quantities of alcohol, so I yeah. knew I didn't have to overfill the steel and try to run uh, five gallons off a little twenty steel just to say that I ran the most alcohol and win the yeah. win that section of it. So I definitely didn't fill the pot up. So I I gotta ask. Yeah. Did you, because um, you needed your mash to ferment in five days, right? Was that what it was? Right. Did you change anything at all that you normally would have done? No, still did it all the same. <laughs> so what's funny about that, it, we had seven days to do it because it was a week in between. And uh, <laughs> of course, they have us up there in the woods cooking in and filming. We had all of our stuff up there with us and they, uh, we didn't pitch, you didn't pitch your yeast and all that stuff till later on. Of course, you had to cool it down and all that. And uh, all of our stuff got sent to the cleaning crew. So they about dumped out all of our leftover supplies that we were going to be using. So we had to go, like, he, he was, the guy that was doing all the cleaning was getting ready to dump a bunch of stuff out. <clears throat> so I had to, like, run over there and get all the other contestants' yeast and stuff, too, for them, because... As far as we knew, they was bringing it back to us, but no, they took it to the cleaners. Damn, that'd been a tough curveball right there. Yeah, which luckily for me, I mean, I'm only about two hours from where we filmed that, so I I could have made something happen. Yeah. <laughs> I could have I drove back here, got more malt, and drove back before the match. Yeah. Nice. Oh yeah, so. <clears throat> So what different, or how many different flavors do you guys make at the distillery? So right now, since we're coming out of the summer season, I think we've got 
we got rid of some of our seasonal ones. I think we've got 16 or 17 different flavored moonshines right now. We've got three private label moonshines. We've got one that's called Alabama Bloodline, and it's for a music artist, Jesse Priest, that we sponsor out of Alabama, which is where we're originally from. And then we've got another music artist, a duo, Two Country for Nashville, that we do a private label for. And then we've got the Ghost Hunt Weekend private label. So they've actually came to the distillery and had ghost hunts here at the distillery because this, this building's old. It's like late 1800s, early 1900s. So they came here, brought a bunch of guests, and did the ghost hunting here. So that's pretty cool that he's got his own private label with us, and they've actually picked up spirits other than the liquid kind here in the distillery. <laughs> Hell Which yeah. I, I told him, I said, don't piss the spirits off because I'm here a lot and I've got to work and I don't need, need them messing with me or nothing like that. So, Yeah, unless you're going to make them mad, take them with you. Right. <laughs> but we've got <clears throat> the Alabama Bloodline, it's strawberry, and then two countries for Nashville, there's blue raspberry. Go something weekend, there's a green apple, sour green apple. Then we've got the dill pickle moonshine, which is our number one seller. We've got the Cinnamon Roll Moonshine, which we won gold with last year at the U.S. Open Spirits Championship. We won silver this year with it. And we've got our Mint Condition, which is Peppermint, and we won bronze with it at the U.S. Open Spirits Championship this year. So we took two out of the three medal spots for flavored moonshine categories at the U.S. Open Spirits Championship. And the only company that beat us out was a Canadian distillery. So we're the only American distillery that one in the flavored moonshine category, uh, which has made us feel pretty good, especially when we know some of the other dis distilleries that were in it and how big of a distillery they are. So that made us feel real good, just being a little mom and pop, family-owned little distillery and beating them out. And then uh, our barrel-aged moonshine, it won bronze two years in a row at the same competition. So... We do a single barrel aged moonshine, cask strength. So whatever we put it in the barrel at 110, whatever it comes out at, that's what it goes in the bottle at. I don't temper it down, try to stretch it out, nothing like that. So the one that we've got on the shelf right now that we're, I think we've got like 40 bottles of it left. Uh, and we just opened it not even a month ago, but it's 108 proof what it come out at. So you just depending on when I open it, that one was two years and two months in the barrel. I've opened them as early as six months in the barrel. It all depends on my taste preference. And when I go out and taste the barrels, see how they're coming along. If I deem it ready to come out, yeah. it's coming out. It, it tells you when it's ready. And, yeah. uh, you can't put a time frame on it. It just tells you when it's ready. Well, with the aged moonshine, it's there are no time aged limits like a bourbon or Tennessee whiskey would be. So it, it's not a mandatory. It has to be in the barrel for four years to be considered that age moonshine it's kind of a new category so it could be in the barrel 15 minutes and you could call it age moonshine it probably tastes like charcoal but you could do it <laughs> uh, but like a lot of people they've tried it and they're like this tastes just like bourbon almost i'm like well it's not bourbon <laughs> since we put sugar in it we can't call it bourbon but uh we do use the white corn it's aged in a new white oak barrel they're charred number four so it's aged the same exact way a bourbon would be, and that's why it has a very similar taste profile to it. But uh, yeah, we've got 
we've got all kinds of flavors. We got, of course, your apple pie, banana, blackberry, uh, orange cream sickle. Just got just about a flavor for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if we don't have something that you like flavor wise, but it'll probably be coming out here soon because we've got more more stuff coming out. So. So what do you what would you say the benefits of being well being legal is other than the obvious benefit? Well, it's a pretty good benefit. I can be across from the courthouse over here and make it and not have to spend the night underneath the courthouse. <laughs> but uh, uh I guess one benefit is that we do get to spread out a lot further. So it's not you don't have to be so secretive about it before when we was illegal and bootlegging it you have your select few people that you sell it to and they may branch off and cut it down and sell it to other people as well. But now we can actually walk into a liquor store and be like, Hey, you want to, you want to have our stuff on the shelf here? Um, we can just go out and preach it to the masses that, Hey, y'all need to try this. It's not, not like you're having to worry about telling the wrong person that you're trying to sling a little move anymore. So, which back when we was bootlegging, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't really that big of a deal. I don't think I I kind of find it weird that there's a lot of people on Facebook these days. I think they're a little too comfortable with their at home distilling, and I don't I don't think the old timers, if they would have had cell phones, would have ever recorded their still sites and posted it all over social media and stuff. <laughs> so, it's definitely a different world nowadays. Yeah. Which I know the agents have a lot more stuff to deal with these days with the human trafficking drugs and all that stuff a little untaxed liquor ain't that big of a deal but they they can still pop you if they oh yeah at any time you know you're making videos you running liquor at any time if they want to they could come in and get you yeah it's kind of like poking the bear it's like okay uh keep poking them and see how long they're gonna let it slide yeah you know some some people do that and you never know man they might just be waiting for you to start selling it and making money that way it's worth their time because you know rolling in your house and messing with you over a couple gallons of personal liquor i mean that can't be worth nothing (laughs) not a whole lot anyways but if you know each different and some states are starting to pass where you can distill at home for personal consumption and all that. I think yep. well, Ohio is trying to pass it 200 yep. gallons per year uh, for personal consumption. Yep. That's 100, 100 per person, 21 and over, maximum of 200 per household. Yeah, that, that's a lot of liquor for personal. That's a lot consumption. of liquor. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's why I don't think that's going to pass. I mean, there's oh, it is. Don't don't throw bad juju on that, Sean. Good thoughts. Yeah. They go, they gonna pass it. All, all, all those people in there that's starting to make liquor themselves, it's going to happen. Well, they'll, they'll pass it, and then they'll people will be like, well, I can make it at home now. Then they'll start selling it, and that's when they'll start popping people. Like, oh, yeah. we didn't make it sell it. That, that yeah. or they'll be like, yeah, it's legal, but you got to reach out for us and get a permit right. we'll see. for no charge. Oh, they'll find right, a way to make money from it. As of, right, as of right now, there's no permit required, so I can mm-hmm. see them reworking that and making us pay for a permit just like the federal fuel permit um that some people get uh and so i could see them being like oh well wait 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 there's billion dollars here we're going to lose out on we got to get this money so i could see them changing that and making us pay for a permit a year probably mm-hmm. like they're somebody's gonna they're not gonna let that much money slip between their fingertips oh. that's not something our state does anyways 
they'll find a way to dip into it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably dip into it 10 different ways. <laughs> they still, even with us being legal, they still, somebody new will come into a position in the office. Uh, it wasn't too long ago. They had started going to distilleries in Nashville and asking them where they were source, sourcing their corn from. If they were getting it from the state of Tennessee, they were like, oh, you got to pay this other tax on all this grain that you get from Tennessee, which makes no sense. So if I would have bought grain from Kentucky, no big deal. You're not going to get this extra excise tax on it. But if you buy it from your own state, support your local farmers and all that, we're going to tax the hell out of you. And uh, Let's see that, you, that caused a big stir. And the lawyers got on it real quick for the whiskey guild. And they were like, no, that's no, no laws had changed, but somebody knew got in a position and that's the way they interpreted the law. Yeah. And so they were trying to find these other distilleries as ridiculous amounts. And we're like, no, <laughs> yes. not here, here in Ohio, if you use in-state ingredients, you get, you get a ma major discount, you know, right. there should be incentives and, for using yes. local stuff. Yeah. Not yeah. It's almost half. Yeah. I believe it's, I believe it's half, you know, as opposed to getting your ingredients out of state, which mm -hmm. is crazy. I believe it's 48% for without a state and 24 in, in, or something like that. It's crazy. Like, you know, I don't know all the details, but I'm just like, that's wild that there's that big of a difference. So, but luckily for us, they, you can get all, just about everything around here except bananas and oranges. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. We try to source everything as locally as possible. Like oh, our yeah. store's got a lot of local arts and crafts and stuff that we sell. That's local artists that put their stuff in there and source our corn locally. Uh, of course, sugar we don't have sugar cane fields here but we do buy it from a local supplier here yeah. to support them and then people they're like where do you get your glass from i'm like well there are no glass manufacturing plants in tennessee unfortunately most of the glass jars and all that come from india these days so yep i mean you gotta you gotta source them where you can and through all the covid crap and all that you had to source it whenever you could find it and hope you could find some and just get wherever you could. We went for a long time there. We could get could get jars. You would find like over a thousand jars that we could get in on a pallet, but then they didn't have any lids for them. We're like, well, yeah. we'll go ahead and buy the jars and hope the lids come up soon. So, and, and you know, when you're in a distillery, um, I don't know how it is there, but everything here has got to be TBB or TTB approved. Right. The jars got to be approved. Your lids got to be approved. So you Lightning. can't just go out and just get some rings and bands and pop on there. So you know it has to be certain ones, and if and if there are certain ones that you can use, well, you're not the only one has to use them. Everybody right. else does too. Like it definitely make it difficult on on, on the little guy, you know? Yeah, because I mean, we're like I said we're real small, and we're not like these other big places that have tractor trailer loads of bottles just sitting out yeah. where they buy. Up. 500,000 bottles at one time or a million yeah. bottles. So we, we kind of do just in time inventory. So, yep. It definitely get, made it rough. Get it when you need it and use it almost immediately. For sure. Uh, have you ever had any, um, you know, mashes or alcohols you came up with at the end you just didn't like and you're like, ah, oh, no, that's not it? Yeah. Done some experimentation before. We did some with some. Uh, the Indian corn, the multicolored red, blue, yep, and white, yep, that yep. somebody had just given us some corn and 
we're like, eh, let's just mess around with it, see what it does. And I, I didn't care too much for that, how it came out. My dad, he seemed to love it, but I, I wasn't a big fan <laughs> of it. Which not all liquors for everybody. I That's mean, right. I'm going to yeah. see me drinking uh, gin probably ever because I've never drank something and been so thirsty after drinking it that mm-hmm. I don't see why. <laughs> Juniper berries, no, I'm good on that. So. Yeah, it's too uh, man. A lot of people like, love gin, and they've asked me to make it, and I'm like, ah, I could. I don't want to. Yeah. I mean, I've got to be the one sampling it to make sure it's coming out fine. <laughs> it might be a really good tasting gin, but I'm going to tell you. like, oh, like, that's, that's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> no like matter how good it is. I don't, I don't like it. So... Yeah, it's hard to make something that you have a disdain for. Like, it's hard, you know, right. you don't drink it, you don't like the taste of it. It's hard to know, like, man, that's really good or that's not really good. Well, it's, it's like our good. Cinnamon Fire Moonshine. It's a hell of a lot better than Fireball is, but I can't, I still can't stand it. Growing up, my mom always had close-up toothpaste, big red chewing gum. My grandparents yeah. had red-hot candies at their house, and I at Christmas time, everybody's burning them stupid cinnamon candles, and I can't stand hot cinnamon flavored stuff. You know, my people, mom always had fire water. Yeah, always had fire, like, fire taste? water. Like, tastes great uh, if you like that kind of stuff. I don't like it. So. Fire water it was always fire water. Would sneak into it. Whew. You didn't understand then, but you know now. <laughs> so, have but, you ever yeah. had any? Uh uh distilling about killed me or got me hurt or some some kind of yeah you got a good story for us whether it was distillery or prior distillery i've been on fire a couple times Uh, good old ghost flying that was real fun uh i was running running some liquor back through a small little six gallon still that somebody else had built and uh i didn't do my due diligence i didn't even look at the still really before i started running it to see how it was assembled and made and all that stuff. So it was just there and convenient. So I'm like, ah, I'll run this back through. I'll bump proof up really high and see what happens. So I'm running this little, it's just a little six and a half gallon little pot still. It was on a trailer. It was mobile. So we actually took it to some festivals and I distilled water to, it was a folk medicine festival. And I was just demonstrating how distillation works, distilling water. But, uh, First time I ran that thing, it was just about to, well, there was liquor coming off the end of it already, and uh, I could hear something hissing. I couldn't tell what in the hell it was, but it was. It had a little furnace built around it, too, so it was same thing, side burner like old Big Bertha over here. But uh, I got to looking down through the furnace, and I could see liquor coming out the, the cape of the pot. And I was like, uh-oh. So I went ahead and shut it off. It was on fire. I mean, you could see the mirage coming off of it, feel the heat. and So shut the flame off. Thought the fire was out. It wasn't. I'm draining the pot into a five-gallon bucket that I'm holding about knee level. And it's the alcohol stream's coming out. All of a sudden, that, that stream of alcohol just goes woof. Now, the bucket I'm holding's on fire, full of liquor. Steel's back on fire with the trailer and everything. So I take off running away from the building out into this gravel driveway, run right through the stream of liquor coming out. 
my pants were totally on fire. I dropped the bucket, took off running. I'm surprised if, if anybody would have been driving down the road, they, I ain't no telling what they would have thought I was on because I was out there kind of like Ricky Bobby running around. I was on fire. <laughs> and I put out. Hey, you're on fire. You got to do what you got to do to get it out. So, so I, I'm out there like hitting myself, finally get myself out because you couldn't see the flame. I could feel it. I knew I was on fire. It's hot. And uh, look back and there's like a 30 foot mirage flame coming off the five gallon bucket where it's on fire and the steel's still on fire. So, I mean, oh boy, that was helping me. We put stuff out. Finally got it all put out. And I, I was like, well, I'll fix that. So I got to looking at the pot, and they had just, whoever built it, had just put the cape on top, just laid it there and soldered it. It wasn't crimped, nothing like but that. Solder. And so the solder had just melted out and fell. And that's where the liquor was escaping from. So I took the pot off, crimped it, soldered it up, good to go. Second time I ran it, doing the same thing. I'm running. Liquor just starts coming off, and it starts puking, boiling over, and filling the thump keg up. Well, the thump keg on this thing had no valve. It was a corn cob shoved into the hole. And if it started puking, you just pulled the corn cob up, let it come out. <laughs> well, I grabbed for that corn cob, pulled it out, and it broke in half and was stuck in there. So it... Blew the cap off. Everything, old flake stand still. Everything's on fire again. Luckily, <laughs> I didn't get on fire that time. So I had a fire extinguisher there. I put it out. And I was like, the hell with all this shit. I said, I'm just going to completely rebuild this thing because it just had a little tiny three-eighths-inch worm on it. Oh, yeah, back pressure. It was just poorly, poorly put together and like yeah. dangerous as hell. So I <laughs> redid the top keg, put actual valve on it. Made it all three-quarter inch piping coming over to a three-quarter inch worm. Use a fancy nice. galvanized trash can. I got a tractor supply. Made it look Hell awesome. yeah. Uh, rebuilt the flake stand on the trailer and put stickers on it, logo and all that stuff to where we take it to festivals. And it ran pretty good after that. It was a pretty solid unit. But uh, You got to have the right size worm, that's for sure. But anyway. uh, Story of my but, life. I'm coming up short two inches. Every, <laughs> only two. Only the lie to yourself, Sean. Only two. He just about diameter, everybody. Man. <laughs> hey, I, I learned real quick. Uh, do your due diligence and check stuff whenever you get it. Don't don't take somebody's word for how it's built or nothing like yeah. that. that. Like everything here on Big Bertha, it's two inch pipe and all the way through. So it, I mean, you could run it on a three-quarter inch worm but i've got people standing right here in front of it watching it run i don't want any back pressure building up or nothing like that so it's got a it's got an oversized thumper on it, it takes longer for it to heat up but it's there's a lot more thumper there for it to fill up if something was to happen and it did puke over yeah and then the condenser itself it's just it's a double walled cylinder condenser so it's just two sheets of copper that are soldered together with a void in between them it's got two inch piping going in it's got two inch piping coming out so my my thump keg don't thump like most people's thump kegs do. It thumps when I thump it with a car antenna to make sure it ain't cold <laughs> filling up. But usually I don't have no issues with it, puking over it. You get one every once in a while. I get a match that's got a mind of its own, and it don't matter if you run it fast, run it slow. Don't matter if you let it sit for a couple of weeks before you run it. Don't matter if you run it right when it's done fermenting. It, 
pukes every time. I don't, I don't understand it. Sometimes it's just every time it does a little something different. I don't know. So you say you've got a double wall condenser? Yeah, double wall cylinder condenser. So it's just a, like I said, two sheets of copper that are. You got your outside sheets just mm -hmm. right up and down, then you've got a inside. It's got flanges where it attaches and makes a smaller cylinder that joins the two sheets of copper together. So the vapors come into that void and that's where it touches the cold copper at, and then it'll fall down to the bottom. It's right. got to fill up probably a little, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm picturing a little gap it's got to overcome before it starts coming out. Yeah. So once it fills up enough, starts spilling over and coming out the exit tube, it comes off just a nice steady stream. Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing like a jacketed still, like like a jacketed still, but with the thumper. Yeah, I mean, but with your condenser, condenser. Yeah, yeah, you got the double wall. You're putting your. That's awesome. Just a big old uh, opening inside, two in out. That's, like that's that it's round, sitting down in an IBC tote, and it's completely submerged in that nice forty degree water. I guess so. They don't take take it long to condense to come down to the bottom. Pretty efficient. I was gonna say that's yeah, that's one of them condensers you don't hear about a whole lot. I know a lot of people used to make them back in the day. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a old school condenser, and they're fairly easy to make for the size that you need and all that. I was when I went to replace it, I was going to possibly do a double shotgun condenser. I've got a buddy that opened up a distillery in Kentucky, and that's what he's got a hundred and fifty gallon pot still. It's electric and he made a double shotgun for it and just with the amount of time I had to do stuff and all that, I was like, you know what, I I may build one in the future, but right now I'll just build one just same as I had that was in it and I know it works fine. So went and grabbed some copper, threw it together and put it back on, been running ever since. So that's cool as shit. Now, um, how tall would you say it is? The condenser itself, mm -hmm. it's a, uh, it's three foot tall. Fire let's see. Yeah, thirty six inches tall. But it's just a full, full sheet of copper. They <clears throat> buy three foot by ten foot sheets. And I think the outer one was like fifty four inches or something like that for the length of it to make the the diameter that I needed. Yeah. And, the inner one was just a little bit smaller than that to give it that small little gap. But now, is that something that you've ran prior to that, uh, before you guys went legal, or yeah, okay, yeah, no, it's a familiar setup that I was very well knowledgeable about. So they're real simple to make. Uh, of course, bending a worm's pretty simple sometimes too. Either depends on who. I you know are. a lot of people have issues with the kinking the tubing and all that stuff, but the old timers had their solutions for that, either filling the copper with sand or mm -hmm. nailing it to a cedar tree or something and wrapping it around the tree and then cutting the tree down and getting your worm off of it. I use propane tanks off of a forklift. That's about the easiest way I've been them. So. But I say that just for the amount of time that I had, because we had to get back up and running 
to be able to fulfill the demands of our distributor and all that stuff. They were ordering more and more stuff. And I was like, man, I can't be down that long. I got to get this thing back up and going so I can run this mash. And so I just knocked one out real quick and put it on there. So are you guys in rolling? Yeah. Are you guys in bars, restaurants and stuff like that or, or liquor stores or? Oh yeah. So we're in, we're in most of the liquor stores in the immediate area around us and then we're spreading out a lot further so we're spreading out towards nashville towards knoxville towards chattanooga uh, a lot of people are coming in from out of town and they'll try our stuff and they like it they always ask us if we can ship we don't have a shipper we used to have one that would ship outside of the state of tennessee a lot of the shipper companies are actually getting in trouble because there's only a few amount of states you're actually allowed to ship to. And a couple of them were shipping to actual agents that were ordering the stuff from them. And they're in court right now over a bunch of that stuff. So we don't have a out of state distributor, but uh, people that are in state that come here from four hours away, we always tell them if you like it, you can go to your local liquor store and, request it they can order it in there and that so we've gotten a lot of a lot of liquor stores that way where people have went in and actually requested that they get it in which is good for us because the liquor store owner if we go out and talk to them and say hey you should yeah. have this which would take them samples and all that stuff and they're like yeah okay but if their customers are coming in and asking for it they know that it's going to sell yeah but, it's different it's different when it's guaranteed money <laughs> you uh, know as opposed to maybe like, ah, maybe I put it on myself, maybe, but you got people coming and asking for it. Yeah. You know? But so we, like I said, we probably, from this time last year, we've tripled production. So I've got three batches of mash going right now. Uh, I had to put, uh, I didn't have the cooler set up like I've got right now on my condenser before because I wasn't running enough to have that necessity. But now I've got it to where I can run two runs a day if I have to. Usually I run, uh, eh, with three matches going, I can run four times a week, but I'll run one time a day yeah. instead of running the entire batch in one day. But it, here soon, it'll probably get to the point where I've got four or five matches going and I'm running two runs in a day, which, yeah, me, is less fun time for me, but it's still fun running the liquor too, so. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. How long does it take you to run that with gas as far as getting heated up and, and all that? It all depends on the day. So if we're, if it's a day that we're open, I know I'm here all day long. I'll run it slower. It'll take about six and a half, seven hours to do a run. The yield about 15 gallons worth. Uh, if I come in here on a day that we're closed and I just want to get stuff done, I'll crank it up and put out the same, same liquor, same amount, same proofs in about four and a half hours. So I've, a lot of people I know, they say you got to run it low and slow. And I've seen people sit there and watch their steel just barely grip for hours. It seems like some of them run. I'd go nuts if I had to sit there and watch something run that slow. Days. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's entertaining. You get on Facebook, yeah. man. You see someone, you know, just made a run on a beer keg, took them 14 hours. Right. It just, like, it come come on. <laughs> but uh, I've ran it super fast. I've ran it super slow. And running it slow, you do get the higher proofs throughout the run. But 
Is it is you it know, worth ten money. extra hours? <laughs> it all depends on what you're shooting for. So is it worth uh, ten more hours? Like, I right. think so. You could make a whole nother run in the time it took you to gain ten proof mm-hmm. at the end. You know, like and that ain't that ain't about dollars and cents. You know, <laughs> when it was just for you at home, that's fine. You ain't got nothing to do. You making a little drinking liquor. Let that shit drip, drip as slow as you want. But you know, when it's about dollars and cents, man, you got to make that money. So, well, I mean, I always tell people because they'll see the stream running, and usually it's about the size of a toothpick if I'm running slow. Mm-hmm. They always say that's running kind of fast, ain't it? I'm like, no. I said, the old timers back in the day, you think they sat up in the woods and sat there and watched that thing drip? Hell no. Hell no. They went out there, they ran that thing as fast as they could, as hard as they could, stripped what liquor they could off of it, and they got the hell out of there. Because the longer you're sitting there, that's more of a chance you're going to get caught sitting there with it. So that's right. So they they didn't run it that way. Dance, uh, you know, it, it all depends on how you're running that still, man. I've, I've seen a 10-gallon run take two hours. I've seen a 10-gallon run take 16 hours. Right. So so realistically, run it how you see fit. Um, it all depends know, on the still type, too. Yeah, I mean, Jack Daniels, they run 30 gallons a minute. So Yeah, yeah. it all depends on your still. Like, how are you running a 10-gallon still? You know, it's gonna probably going to run you a couple hours. You run a 100-gallon still, you crank that big dude up and – you know, so it's really it all depends on how you run it. For me, it'd probably be about a couple hours on a ten gallon run. You know, but like you said, it's all about all about what you're running with. Yeah, if it's like a beer keg, man, I won't run. If it takes me longer than four or five hours to run a beer keg, nah. Yeah, and most that's getting that stainless steel hot, <laughs> heating yeah. that stainless up. Yeah, that is uh, when you got the bigger. Uh, bigger rigs it it does take longer for them to heat up and this distilling room that i'm in it's not climate controlled at all so when it's cold outside it's cold in here and it takes longer to heat up every time so summertime is my time to shine the heat don't bother me at all hotter the better so tell us a little bit about what you guys have planned going on down the line are you guys going to expand are you looking to add another still or make a bigger still or so we do plan on expanding. Like I said uh, for this setup that we're running right now, the thumper's oversized and the condenser's oversized. So I could build a bigger pot and run that. I can build another pot and have two of them running at the same time. Uh, it all depends on what I want to do on that one, which we're still, like I said, we've tripled production since last year, but we're still not running to full capacity of what I could with just this yeah. one deal. So once we get to that point, I'll, we will probably definitely need a bigger boat. Uh, we, we're we not trying to compete with some of these big multi-million dollar places with their huge $500,000 steels either. So we're more focused on quality, not quantity. So I'm, I'm not going you know, to push out a bunch of bull crap just to try to get bottles out there. If it tastes like crap, nobody's going to buy it. So. And we're not, we don't source anything in either. So, I mean, we could, there's a lot of places that, that do source in. And I, I saw a, a picture on Facebook of an employee at a distillery that had on a t-shirt that said sourcing is not a crime. I, I don't understand it. It's like going to Walmart, buying a 
cake and then taking it to the fair and taking it out of the box and saying, Hey, I made this cake and you win a medal for it. I, I know a lot of yeah. people do it. We could do it too, but I'm not going to do it because like when we win our awards and stuff, that's, yeah, I guess it's because we actually put our heart and soul into it and yeah. we actually made the liquor. We can tell you what's in it. We can tell you how it was made. Uh, I can tell you where the barrels come from and all that stuff, but I don't know. I don't, I don't get the whole sourcing thing, but I know we won't be doing any of that to try to fill demand if we get to that point. So yes. we run it here, it ain't going out in the store. Yeah. You need more, run more, <laughs> run bigger. You know, that's just how it goes. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, guys, I think, uh, had everybody here long enough. It's been just over an hour. So, yes, sir. Chad, we appreciate you giving us your time, telling us your story about why you do what you do and how you love what you do, man. And definitely learned some really cool things tonight. So, I'm, I'm greatly appreciative for the knowledge that you spread to us tonight so thank you so much for that i'm not going to thanks for having me on yes sir everybody thanks for watching thanks for listening we're on apple podcast now check us out on apple podcast we're still on spotify stuff too but now we're on apple so we've made it we've made it we're in the upper echelon so (laughs) yeah big time so hey anyways y'all have a great night um thanks for tuning in We'll be back next week, next Monday at 9. Come back, hang out with us. I can't tell you who it's going to be because I never know. So (laughs) just be on the lookout for Sean's Reel, and we'll all find out together. So everybody have a great night. We love all y'all. Thanks again, Chad. Sean, you look a lot better than you did when you left here Saturday. So I feel a little better. Well, I don't know about feeling a little better. I I was feeling pretty good then. (laughs) We was all feeling good. (laughs) I will tell you, Noble had like 15 bowls of chili. Every time I saw Noble, he was eating a bowl of chili. And I'm like, bro, you like that chili? He's like, I can't stop eating it. I was like, yeah, my, my mom made a big old thing of chili. It was crazy. And uh, LeMaster's wife showed up with a pot roast. And and then everybody had – there was so much alcohol here. People made. And it was crazy. It was a great day. It was like a little mini festival. That's <laughs> what it was like. Time. It was. Uh, but y'all want to come next year? I'll let you know when it is, and we'll see you then. So, everybody have a great night, man. We love all y'all. Have a great night, Chad. Yep. Everybody shine on. Thanks.